Chapter 6. Crafting a Vision Muhammad Yanis was born in 1940 in Chattagong in eastern Bengal, India, which became East Pakistan in 1947 and Bangladesh in 1971. He completed his bachelor's and master's degrees in his homeland and a doctorate in economics at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, then taught economics at Middle Tennessee State University for a few years. In 1972, however, a year after Bangladesh became an independent nation-state, Yunus returned to his country, eager to contribute to its future. After accepting the position of chairman of the economics department at Chattagong University, he realized that the opportunity to apply his economic ingenuity for the good of his country lay just outside the campus in the impoverished village of Jobra. His vision was to help his country but he knew he needed to start with a single village. As he said later, I decided I would become a student all over again, and the people of Jobra would be my professors. When you hold the world in your palm and inspect it only from a bird's eye view, you tend to become arrogant. You do not realize that things get blurred when seen from an enormous distance. I opted instead for the worm's eye view. I hoped that if I studied poverty at close range, I would understand it more keenly. Over the next decade, Yunus refined his vision based on various successes and failures, yet staying true to its core to economically improve the lives of the poorest Bangladeshi people. Yunus first noticed that during the dry season, the fields around Jobra lay barren, while nearby fields were green with second season crops. When he inquired why, the villagers said they needed a tube well. Involving his students in the project, Yunus approached government agencies on the villagers' behalf and acquired a well for Jobra. After three years, however, the fields were again barren, in winter this time, because of bickering in the village over how to share the well and its costs. So, Yunus helped the villagers form a cooperative among the landowners, the farmers, and himself. He would finance the project with a personal loan, and all parties would split the profits. When the villagers failed to repay Yunus after the first year, he realized they had developed a stance of learned helplessness. Knowing that local initiative fosters self-reliance, he encouraged the villagers to take responsibility for the next year's loan themselves. Over time, the village cooperative prospered and profits increased. However, even though the lives of many Joba residents had improved, Yunus saw that the landless poor most of whom, whom were, were women, still suffered. He also noticed that when funds were put in the hands of the women, they tended to reinvest the profits in their families, health, and education. Realizing the economic liberation of the women could have a cascading effect on children and other villagers, he chose to invest in them. Because the bank did not believe poor village women would repay a loan, Yunus undersigned for the financing of U.S. $68 of raw materials for 42 women to pursue cottage industries such as weaving bamboo furniture. Yunus remained concerned about repayment, but by now he understood the psychology of village life and made the loans available to individual women who belonged to a group of five borrowers, staggering their access to the loans. If the first two members of a group were paying back their loans after two months, two more members were allowed to take out loans. If these loans were repaid, 
Then after two more months, the fifth member received her loan. As the program matured, 99% of the women repaid their loans. Yunus had arrived at a winning formula. Subsequently, his vision for funding small businesses at the village level evolved into the Grameen Bank, a community-based bank that provides loans to the poor. The bank's success in turn spawned the global microcredit movement, including groups such as Kiva, Lend for Peace, and the Microloan Foundation. In 2006, the Nobel, the Nobel Committee awarded the Nobel Peace Prize to Yanis and the Grameen Bank. The prize announcement read in part, Muhammad Yanis has shown himself to be a leader who has managed to translate visions into practical action for the benefit of millions of people, not only in Bangladesh, but also in many other countries. Muhammad Yunus is a leader who exemplifies the crafting of a vision to bring social change. Crafting a vision helps leaders for the common good move forward with purpose and direction. First, their core values give them an inspired sense of how the world ought to be. Institutions and communities marked by love, integrity, or equity. Then, embracing the margins of society with which they are concerned gives them a visceral experience of how things actually are. The discrepancy between what is and what ought to be creates tension in leaders' minds and hearts. And from the crucible of that tension, a vision of what could be, how injustices can be rectified, evolves. A vision articulates a preferred future. The spirit of possibility inherent in a vision is expressed in the following words, adapted from George Bernard Shaw and popularized by Robert Kennedy during his 1968 presidential campaign. Some men see things as they are and say, why? I dream things that never were and say, why not? A vision is also medium for inspiring others to roll up their sleeves and join in the work of shaping the future. Such a vision lifts people's sights above the hard work in front of them and gives purpose to their lives, as illustrated by the following story. A woman walked by three stonemasons, busy laying bricks. Curious, she stopped and asked them what they were doing. One said, I'm laying bricks. Another said, I'm building a wall. The third mason responded, I'm building a cathedral. The three masons were engaged in the same work, but only the third mason's work was connected to a grand vision, giving this mason purpose and the incentive to lay his bricks with greater care so his work would stand the test of time. Finally, a vision is a picture of what could be. Assuming that people will do the necessary work to effect such transformation. A crystal clear vision of what could be one that remedies the injustice witnessed in the margins, sweeps the cobwebs from a leader's mind, redirects her heart and feet, and galvanizes her commitment to engage in noble work she is called to do but has somehow forgotten. Thus, it is important that a leader for the common good adequately defines the steps that will realize the vision, setting goals and designing an action plan. Conceiving a Vision a vision for the common good is conceived in the gap between what is 
a leader's experience of an injustice happening in a particular time and place, and one's moral sense of what ought to be. Direct experience with the injustices of the margins of society gives leaders knowledge of what is. A leader's moral conviction rooted in a personal core value provides information about what ought to be. A vision of how injustices can be transformed in light of the common good. For example, leaders who have a core value of love may see a village of hungry children and develop a vision to diminish world hunger. Leaders who have a core value of family might look at the incarceration rate of inner city youth of color in their city and have a vision of improving the lives of someone else's son or daughter. And leaders who have the core value of integrity might compare the budgets for the departments of defense and education, wondering how does this choice prepare the next generation to become informed citizens who can safeguard the democracy and cultivate a vision for changing these funding ratios. The way a vision can be catalyzed by a specific experience is further illustrated by the following story. In 1997, Ryan Haroldjack was six years old and in first grade when his teacher, Mrs. Prest, presented a lesson on water and thirst. Deeply moved, he reported later, when I learned that there were people dying in the world because they didn't have clean water, I couldn't believe it. I take nine steps and I have it. Clean water, right in my tap. In response, he raised $2,000 to dig a well in Uganda. Since then, his initial vision to create one well has grown into the Ryan's Well Foundation and has brought clean water to over 700,000 people in 16 countries. Living with the tension between what is and what ought to be can cause a leader sleepless nights or an ache in the pit of the stomach. Escaping into denial is often a real temptation, but more rewarding way of facing such awakening is to remain open to the generative energy associated with the tension and wait for the arrival of a vision of how to create what ought to be. Visions may take time to develop or they may emerge quickly and they can arrive in a variety of ways. Visions can be born with an individual's flash of insight. We have all had moments, perhaps while stepping out of the shower, before falling asleep or during a walk in nature when we are suddenly aware of a new, potentially powerful idea, as if we had been struck by a bolt of lightning. But visions can also arise from group discussion or action. For example, in 1965, retired millionaires Millard and Linda Fuller visited Kowonia Farm, a Christian cooperative community in Americus, Georgia. Inspired by the spirit of cooperation, they observed among the farm members. The Fullers began a conversation with the founder, Clarence Jordan, about whether the principles of cooperative work could be applied to solving other social problems. Though through conversations over the next several years in the context of this dedicated community, the vision for Habitat for Humanity was conceived. Evaluating a vision for the common good. Once a vision intended to advance the common good is conceived, the leader can evaluate its merit and potential effectiveness by applying to it the following four criteria rooted in the four cornerstones of leadership for the common good. Whether it's honors, 
whether it honors the leader's core values, whether it improves the lot of people on the margins, whether it bridges the us-them divide, and whether it articulates concern for the urgency of change. Honoring the leader's core values. If a vision honors a leader's core values, then it is likely grounded in principle and will fill the leader with moral capacity to stay and work. We can also be confident that it will direct us toward the common good. A vision that honors the leader's core values makes the leader feel good, excited, peaceful, or happy. This feeling relieves the tension felt between what is and what ought to be. A vision that honors a leader's core values also fills the individual with passion and commitment to see the vision through to fruition. We do the world a favor, not by tinkering with the possibility of change, as if refining our vision were a hobby we pay attention to when it's convenient, but by being fully committed to change. Muhammad Yanis didn't say, I've got an open weekend, I think I'll go do something in Jobra. Because he had a passion and commitment, every roadblock turned into a moment for learning, and every setback was a chance to choose hope. Passion became his vessel, curiosity the rudder, and hope the wind in his sails. His vision was sure to bear fruit because it was well aligned with his core values. Improving the lot of people on the margins. If a vision addresses the needs and interests of people on the margins of society and reflects a leader's courage to be a steward of the resources at the campfire for the sake of transformation, it is a vision for the common good. Such a vision employs justice and encourages the transformation of systems and structures that maintain injustice in a social setting. It can then be effective in challenging the status quo to improve the lives of those beyond the leader's own family group and community. Leadership for the common good always means caring about justice for the least fortunate and most vulnerable within the broader social circles in which a group operates. For example, leaders of a nation who ignore their own habitual mistreatment of an ethnic minority within its boundaries cannot claim to be stewards of the common good just because they campaign for better health benefits for members of the president's cabinet. Initiatives that improve the lot of those on the margins may disrupt the lives of the privileged. There is a saying in Jewish scholarship that the words of a prophet simultaneously bring comfort to the afflicted and affliction to the comfortable. A vision for the common good is likely to do the same. Bring comfort to those on the margins and some anxiety to more privileged. The work of advancing the common good is not a popularity contest. Leaders for the common good know their vision has struck a vital chord if on occasion they feel like they are being chased by the hounds of hell. If they are not, they probably haven't gone deep enough into the center of the problem. Bridging the us-them divide. A vision for the common good reminds people of their interconnectedness, that we all share the same DNA and global future, and reflects a commitment to bridge the us-them divide among those within social circles. A vision for the common good draws wide circles that invite all into a mutually beneficial future.
Unfortunately, schisms can be created even during the work of garnering support for a vision. When a vision for change begins to be implemented with finger pointing and blame directed at defenders of the status quo, us, them, strategies, and more diversion, more division are guaranteed. Bridging the us-them divide requires leaders to exchange blame and scapegoating behavior for care and inclusiveness, the benefits of which are illustrated in the following true story. A CEO of a regional healthcare system made a startling announcement to the staff saying, in essence, as of today, there is a new policy in this hospital. If a patient is injured or dies as a result of our negligence, I intend to call the family myself and tell the truth. No one in this hospital will be in trouble alone. We will learn together. I will tell the family, I'm deeply sorry to report that your loved one has suffered or died because of our neglect. If you intend to sue us, we will admit our wrongdoing in court just as honestly as I am sharing the truth with you now. I also give you my pledge that we will continue to study what happened so that we will learn from this tragedy. For the sake of our institutional integrity and so that your loved one will not have died in vain. Since his announcement, patient safety has increased dramatically. And although he has had to make several actual calls due to injury and death, to date, the healthcare system has not been sued. He reached out and led for the good of the patients, their families, and his employees. In his vision, everyone had worth and deserved justice and care. A vision for the common good helps people reconnect with one another, the planet, and their own core goodness. For instance, Abraham Lincoln's vision reconnected South and North. Rachel Carson's vision connected humans with the environment. And Yunus's vision reconnected the poor with their own dignity. Articulating concern for the urgency of change. If a vision is filled with a moral imperative that articulates concern for the urgency of change, it is a vision for the common good. When poverty, hunger, homelessness, or oppression in any form has a face and a name, we naturally want to respond in a timely way. Eleanor Roosevelt reportedly worked 18-hour days to craft and win support for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, driven by a deep sense of exigency, informed by her face-to-face -face encounters with human need. Similarly, in December of 1954, Harry and Bertha Holt saw a film depicting the desperate need of Amerasian children living in South Korean orphanages. Immediately, the Holt sent money and clothes, but they felt prompted to do more. They wanted to give these children a family. They decided to adopt eight children, but soon learned that it was impossible unless they could get both the Houses of Congress to pass a special law allowing for international adoption. The couple promptly began work on their daunting challenge. Harry left for Korea to be with the children, while Bertha lobbied Congress. Just nine months after the Holt saw the film of the Amerasian children, the Holt Bill passed, paving the way for international adoption in general and enabling Harry to bring home their eight children that same month. Five months later, 
Harry traveled back to South Korea to begin helping American families give other children a home. And in 1956, the Holt Adoption Agency was incorporated. To date, the agency has helped 40,000 children from 11 different countries connect with adoptive families. Translating a vision into action. Once a vision is conceived, the leaders implement it. Translating it into action, which calls on the leader's capacity for strategic planning. Several strategies can help the leader implement the vision. Sharing the vision first with a few trusted allies. Paying attention to the history and politics of the community or institution the vision will affect. Fine-tuning the vision based on feedback and anticipating resistance to the vision's goals and aspirations. Sharing the vision with trusted allies. Although the vision will eventually be shared with the broader community, early on it is best to share it with only a few trusted allies who will listen to the leader's dream with interest and openness. A new vision is delicate cargo and should be handled with care. Exposing the new idea to general critique is to risk letting it be dismissed as an impractical dream. Even after revealing it to allies, such as friends and co-workers, leaders must maintain a balance between adhering to the essence of the original vision and remaining open to useful feedback that will help them fine-tune the vision. Sometimes trusted allies can offer the practical advice needed to implement the vision. During a week-long retreat, Focus on a Buddhist view of leadership. I heard a surprising comment on this point by Omori Sogen Rutaishi, founder of the Chosen Ji Zen Dojo in Honolulu. He said, the leader is the visionary, inspired by love, dedicated to making the world a better place. The love-inspired leader often needs to be supported by a tactical strategist who cares for the leader and the vision and knows how to get things done. This partnership frees the leader to dream big dreams, knowing that a trusted ally is willing to carefully tether them to the practicalities. The Zen master's point reminded me of Don Quixote, a romantic dreamer who loses touch with reality in the novel with the same name by Miguel de Cervantes. A lesser known but essential character is Sancho Panza, Quixote's pragmatic manservant and faithful follower who believes in the dreamer, but is also more connected to reality. Without Panza, Quixote strays into madness. Yet Quixote gives Sancho a chance to pursue the impossible dream. A dreamer like Don Quixote can give his followers wings, while followers like Panza give the leaders landing gear. Both visionary and pragmatist elements are necessary and translating a vision into action. Often an individual has both capacities, such as Muhammad Yunus, a leader who tends too much toward idealism. However, is wise to find a Sancho whose pragmatic attention to the real details can manifest the division. Paying attention to politics and history. As a leader translates a vision into action, it is necessary to pay attention to the history and politics of the particular region, institution, or element of society that will be affected, especially if the leader is new to the place. I discovered this early in my career in higher education, 
at a time when I thought vision and passion were enough to affect change. During one of our weekly meetings, my supervisor gave me important feedback. Knowing I liked baseball, he said, Bill, I am happy to report that you have the best fastball on the team. But unfortunately, it is your only pitch. We laughed, and then he coached me to see that making change happen meant I needed to get to know the people, traditions, and the formal and informal power brokers on campus and in the surrounding community. To study the political moorings of the locale, the leader could ask such questions as, how does change happen around here? Who are the power brokers? Who can get in the way or open doors? Depending on how and when they hear about the vision. Who needs to be at the table because the vision touches their institution, people, or territory? In addition, the leader should research the local history considering such questions as, has anything like this vision been tried before? Did it fail or succeed, and why? What can I learn from these earlier initiatives? By doing this homework, the leader can learn from the past and develop more potential allies to help implement the vision. When we take the time to connect with people who know the territory, invariably, they are grateful to be asked. Often, as a result of hearing our vision, they offer to use their social capital by making an introduction or giving an endorsement, thus paving the way for implementation of the vision. Fine-tuning the vision. As a vision is translated into action, the leader has an opportunity to fine-tune it based on interaction with allies or adversaries, as well as lessons learned in the field. Faced with any unintended consequences of implementing the vision, the leader can use such feedback to further clarify the vision. To fine-tune a vision, the leader needs to remain committed to it while simultaneously being open to feedback from allies and adversaries alike. Trusting that critique, well-intended or ill-willed, can strengthen the vision. Facing difficult feedback, however ugly or inconvenient, can ultimately help increase the vision's chances of success. For example, Muhammad Yanis continually adapted his original vision to the challenges and opportunities of the day without losing its moral essence. As each strategic plan succeeded or registered as a failure, the villagers' failure to use the tube well, their failure to pay him back, the discovery that more than five borrowers in a microloan group was too many. He took it not as a sign to quit, but as feedback for modifying the vision and the plan for implementing it. His vision of economic well-being for Bangladeshi villagers remained the same, but its expression shifted according to the situation on the ground. Anticipating Resistance by anticipating resistance for those with other points of view, the leader can be prepared to engage wise adversaries without compromising the essence of his vision. In fact, opposition to a vision, if openly considered, may actually strengthen the vision. The goal for the leader at this point is to welcome the resistance in the spirit of third circle inclusiveness. Make an effort to understand opponents' concerns and consider whether it is possible to address them within the vision's parameters. If the answer is yes, the vision becomes stronger and the leader gains more allies. If the answer is no, although the resistance may continue, the leader can be satisfied that such opponents have been included in the process. Not all encounters with resistance have storybook endings, 
But leaders can civilize situations by anticipating and welcoming the resistance in the spirit of respect and tolerance for alternative perspectives, as illustrated by the following anecdote. Marshall Rosenberg, founder of the Center for Nonviolent Communication, was in Israel conducting training for a mixed group of Israelis and Palestinians. Before the training began, someone in the crowd shouted, You're an American! How could you possibly help Palestinians, given all that your country has done to oppose us? Rosenberg listened intently to this person and responded with questions to better understand his concerns. After the training, the man invited Rosenberg to his home for the evening to help celebrate Ramadan with his family. If resistance persists, not only the vision, but also the visionary, may be critiqued or even ridiculed. When resistance becomes personal, the leader might be dismissed as naive, idealistic, or just plain meddlesome. Leaders who experience such criticism need to engage in some form of self-support while remaining in the third circle. For example, they can recall their core values, the injustice experienced in the margins, and the moral urgency they feel because they know conditions could be better for the disenfranchised. Leaders will regain strength, focus, and commitment by returning to these moral centers. From vision to social invention. A social invention expands a vision's potential impact beyond its original context of time, place, and leverage. Daniel H. Burnham, architect and creator of the famous Chicago Plan of 1909, once counseled city leaders, make no little plans, for they have no magic to stir men's blood. Make big plans, aim high in hope and work. A vision for the common good yields a plan to bring change to a particular corner of the world, whether it is in the sales department at a corporation, an after-school program in an inner-city school, or a cottage industry of a village in a developing nation. Yet sometimes the same vision can also bring positive change to other corners of the world. For example, although Yunus is first implemented his vision to help all people of Bangladesh, by focusing on a single village, he fine-tuned it until it became a replicable innovation that could be applied to benefit the poor around the world. Thus, his vision evolved into a social invention. Social inventions resulting from grand visions are often change agendas that address fundamental issues. They may take the form of public policy, such as America's Civil Rights Act of 1964, or they may spring to life in the form of an institution, like the Environmental Protection Agency and the National Park Service, which have shaped our relationship with the natural world. In addition, social inventions may take the form of ideas. That's all people are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Is a social invention in the form of an idea crafted by Thomas Jefferson that continues to instigate social transformation around the world. Social invention can expand the originally intended reach of the vision. For example, even though the women's suffrage movement initiated by Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucrieta Mott in 1850 began as a way to gain access to social power in the form of the right to vote, it evolved into a means of improving women's rights in general. Similarly, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, MAD, the organization Candy Leitner founded after her daughter was killed by a repeat drunk driving offender in 1980, 
started with a focus on driving laws in California, but grew quickly into a national social invention. The issue struck a chord across American society, and two years after the founding of MAD, President Ronald Reagan established a presidential commission on drunk driving, and, co and Congress passed a bill to support states in curbing drunk driving. Today, with the internet, it is easier than ever for a vision to grow quickly and for a few people to have a vast impact. Matt Flannery and Jessica Jackley founded Kiva in October of 2005, expanding upon microlending as popularized by Grameen Bank by allowing individual microfunders to interact directly with low-income micro-entrepreneurs. In developing nations around the globe, in a matter of hours, all the loan requests they posted were funded. One year later, the PBS program, Frontline, aired a documentary on Kiva, after which the public's response overwhelmed Kiva's website. The following week, over $250,000 was loaned. In November 2009, a little over four years from its inception, Kiva reached 100 million in total loans. As this example demonstrates, a vision can morph into a social invention when the leader remains attentive to the vision's potential, allowing it to mature. Because of their scale, social inventions foster wide-reaching and long-lasting changes for the common good. For one thing, they can make a daunting task doable, like suddenly being able to paint a barn with a power painter after having used an artist's brush. Since they hasten progress, a social inventions support the idea of the fierce urgency of now. If a vision matures into a social invention, it can result in a giant step forward for the common good. Whenever progress is made on one vision for the common good, it sets in motion social movements that can aid progress on the others. In the 1950s, the civil rights movement created social momentum that supported visions for progress in the environmental, women's rights, and disabilities movements. We personally contribute to the momentum when as everyday people, we are grounded in our core values and able to identify social concerns to which we are passionately committed. Any vision for the common good serves as a fractal, a reduced copy of the whole. People involved in the implementation of the vision not only help out on this particular issue, but experience a foretaste of the day when the shift to a common good worldview is complete. Exercises. While crafting your vision, consider your experience of the tension between what is and what ought to be, and encourage your vision of what could be to emerge by following the directions below. Making a mural to craft a vision. Take a large sheet of paper and draw a vertical line down the middle. On the left side of the line, draw a scene depicting a social concern. For example, if the social concern is homelessness, you might draw a community with people sleeping under bridges, standing in bread lines, and on corners with signs saying, I'll work for food. For food. Recall your three core values and think of a symbol for each one. For example, love could be symbolized as a heart. On the right side of the line, using these symbols, draw a picture that transforms your social concern. What is 
into an image of what ought to be. For example, you might draw homeless people walking toward a heart-shaped building where they can find help. Spend two to five minutes reflecting on the contrast between the two scenes. Write down your thoughts about how conditions could be transformed for the common good. Reflection questions. What social concern causes you anguish? When you experience tension between the world as it is and the world as it ought to be, according to your core values, what vision emerges? How is your vision in keeping with the common good worldview? How will you articulate your vision so that it resonates with the hearts, minds, and dreams of others? Who will be your allies in support of your vision? What practical considerations would you focus on in implementing the vision based on the particular politics and history of the region, institution, or group involved? How will you retain the spirit of the vision as you begin to share it with possible critics? Does your vision have the potential to become a social invention?